During tonight's Democratic candidates debate in Texas, Julian Castro went after Joe Biden, specifically characterizing him as having forgotten what he said two minutes ago. Listen, Julian, if Biden's senile, we're all senile. None of us remembered what he had said two minutes ago. Meanwhile, Bernie Sanders was portrayed as physically unfit for the office of president by his vocal cords. I kid. But seriously, Bernie, great Harvey Firestein impression. You sounded like me after a night of karaoke where I do Surrender by Cheap Trick and Sweet Caroline twice. Amy Klobuchar took on Bernie Sanders once again, mentioning that he wrote the bill on health care, but she actually read it. In Bernie's defense, he's a senator, and I think it's actually in the job description that you don't read any of the bills, especially the ones with your name on it. In response to some of the divisiveness on stage, Kamala Harris pointed out that a house divided cannot stand. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the fundamental definition of separation of powers. It's kind of why we have multiple branches of government. I think they need to be divided, but, you know, nice try. Andrew Yang, he surprised everyone, including the other candidates on stage, by promising to offer 10 Americans $1,000 a month for a year. That sounded pretty ridiculous to me and totally unrealistic to expect 10 people to vote for Andrew Yang. I'm glad you like that one. Despite being asked the question multiple times, Elizabeth Warren refused to say that her Medicare for All plan would mean a tax increase for the middle class. But in her defense, the answer would cause a lot less people to vote for her, so of course she couldn't answer it. Several times we heard Cory Booker use phrases like dadgum and doggone it. Dude, we get it. You're not cool, okay? Fine. You don't have to reinforce that. On a number of occasions, the candidates sang the praises of Beto O'Rourke for his handling of the El Paso shooting. They talked so much about him that I started to get the feeling that, oh, he's definitely going to be out of the race, like, tomorrow. It was like they were all giving him a kiss on the cheek and saying, I know it was you, Fredo. Apologies to Chris Cuomo. I know how he feels about that word. Uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg said that he will succeed in politics because he trusted voters to actually evaluate him on the job he will do and not his personal life. You know, that approach will definitely get you elected mayor of South Bend, Indiana. But, um, yeah, it doesn't work for presidential politics. Have you ever hosted a game show? Just trying to help them. As the debate was nearing an end, protesters began shouting over Joe Biden's answer to his attempt to answer a question on professional setbacks. It was incoherent, unintelligible, and really detracted from the proceedings. Oh, and those protesters who spoke before Biden were really annoying, too. And finally, (laughs) there have been a number of complaints about an ad for a group promoting new faces that started with a photo of of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez being set on fire, followed by skeletons and corpses. It was narrated by a woman named Elizabeth Hang, who identified herself as a Republican. Honey, you're in a commercial where Elizabeth... I did that twice... Her name's Elizabeth. You're in a commercial where Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was set on fire. You don't need to tell us you're a Republican. We already knew that. The Trump Report starts now. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz begin. I feel like the buzz got bigger there, don't you? Welcome to the Trump Report. This is our... Debate three after show. Uh, Christian Blatt here with the wonderful Chelsea Galicia. Hello there. Thank you for being here. Uh, it is just the two of us tonight. Uh, yeah. We uh, we thought that we would have more people with us, but you know what? There's so much to talk about. We we can handle this on our own. We can do uh, any and all of the heavy lifting. And I've made this comment uh, earlier on the show, I believe on our previous show, that yes, our long national nightmare is over. We only have one night of debate. And uh, even though it was three hours, 
the fact that I don't have to watch another one tomorrow night made this one a little bit uh, easier to watch. The whole time I was sitting there watching it, and I was kind of, you know, oh gosh, okay, this is going on for a while. And I kept wondering if you felt like this was some kind of torture. It was long. But just the fact that there wasn't another night was okay. I thought there were going to be more commercials. Uh, there weren't. So, you know, I mean, there was the one I talked about where uh, uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez was set on fire. But, uh, you know, there really weren't a lot of commercial breaks, you know. And I, I think, look, I think Biden was hoping for more breaks. I'm just saying. I'm, I, I, I thought that he was... I got. I was feeling more tired than than he was. I was looking to see, like, when somebody was talking, like, what the person next to them kind of like looked right. like. To yeah. get, you can kind of tell a lot about somebody when the, the camera's not on them, but you yeah. can still see them. So you felt as tired as Bernie sounded, right? Oh, poor Bernie and his. I, I voice. Soon, the first time he spoke, I'm like, uh oh. Yeah, you know, that was going to be but, a thing. Well, that's what happens when you yell all the time, though. You know, so it's I, strange that that's how his voice is. Only once did it like come down to a normal conversational a normal Bernie, tone. Yeah. But you know, if you were to meet with him in person, I had the opportunity to do that. A couple he didn't times yell at you. Year. No, he he kind of speaks almost you know kind of down like this. And so, if you're not really listening closely, you'll you'll miss it because he doesn't project. A lot when he, yeah. you know, but then he gets on stage and he's got to be his Bernie voice. You know, he does have to be his Bernie voice. Uh, so when we do cover these debates, we usually like to look at big picture. So I wanted to ask you first, and we did not talk about this beforehand because I wanted it to be natural on the show. Uh, who do you feel like this was a particularly good night for? You can have more than one answer, but as you think about the ten candidates on stage, who do you think this is somebody, or maybe two people who had a really good night? I thought Elizabeth Warren had a really great night. I agree. It's probably not a surprise. I'm surprised, actually, that you thought she had a great she night. Had, she had some really good answers for a lot of things. And, you know, there, were, there, were, there weren't a lot of those moments where you're like, mm, you know, I, for other people, I think, you know, it's like, you know, sometimes they're trying too hard. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's like... It not to obviously not to take away from the hardship in his life, but Joe Biden's like, well, I know about cancer. I'm like, yeah, dude, we know. Mm-hmm. It's it's like this this mm-hmm. it actually didn't really fit in here, you know. When yeah. he talked about it at the end, it was actually it was actually a nice heartfelt moment. But like earlier, he had been like, oh yeah, it was yeah. Trying. True, uh, yeah. So Elizabeth Warren, you thought had a good night? Yeah, I I maybe part of her her background as and now I, I didn't realize that she was a special needs teacher before, but. Being a, a teacher and a professor, and I think I also relate to her because she said she was um, a lawyer for like 45 minutes, and I was yeah. like, oh, that's me. Um, and Andrew Yang, too, said he was a, a lawyer for a couple of months. And yeah, I'm by like, the way, the closed hey, captioning maybe- wrote that as liar. <laughs> He's like, I was oh, a I liar. and I, No, I know, because I, 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 I just I saw that, and I was like, he was a what? And that's then they the second hilarious. time they had it as lawyer, yeah. Yeah, so, um, but sh- so she's really good at explaining things concisely and simply, so that they make sense, but then you don't feel like you're being spoken down to at the same time. So she was cohesive, great, gave good answers, and some of the same themes kept coming up. And that's how I sort of think a president needs to, or a candidate needs to sort of brand themselves. as like, when you think of this person, what do you think of? And she talked about corruption several times. I wish that the subject of corruption was its own issue, uh, but she did manage to answer with it to several of the issues and therefore kind of string together that the underlying problem is the the corruption and that similar thing to Andrew Yang 
who started out by saying the problem with our economy is our sort of worshiping of the almighty dollar. Yes. Um, interesting thing that he then went into about this. I'm going to give 10 people, you know, $12,000 in a year. Um, if you yeah, go to my and, website. Uh, okay. Yeah. And, cool. And then I was excited. And then he's like, and explain why you deserve it. I'm like, oh, I thought we could just get it. You know, I thought it was going to be like a, you know, like a lottery. You know, you're just going to pick a number. And I was like, oh, I definitely don't deserve it. But I would have taken it but for sure. But that's a really great approach. You're going to have a bunch of Americans writing in about what $1,000 uh, a difference of $1,000 would make. And it would make a lot in people's minds. The reality, though, I think that if you give people $1,000 without also teaching them how to manage their money, that $1,000 would get lost in little expenditures that went up because of of this phenomenon called lifestyle inflation. Sure, but what if I saved $1,000 each month so then I would have $12,000? And I used all $12,000 on a big vacation to, like, Cabo. That would be good, right? Okay. Well, you would be flexing your financial muscles to leave the money in a bank account. Yeah. That I, but I'll just leave it in my checking account, right? Oh, gosh. Isn't that a good idea? Online savings account. Come on, oh, okay. at least. At least. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I mean, I would be impressed if actually people could save up $12,000. Yeah. Because it does take sort of some skill to leave that money there. Some people see the money and then it's just it's spent as quickly as it arrives into their account. So, um, yay for that. The the vacation in Cabo, I'll, I'll show you how to go to Cabo for less. Oh, should I, oh sorry, should I, go to, should I go to a vacation that's in America? Should I put that money in the American economy? Is no, that you, what you're trying I, to say? I, I'm totally fine should with I go, you. Should I go to, should I go to uh, Minneapolis, go to the Mall of America? That would probably be helpful, okay. but maybe we can do both. I mean, $12,000 is a lot of money. You can do a, a great Cabo vacation and a great, uh, where is the Great Mall of America? Minnesota. Minnesota it's outside Minneapolis. Okay, yeah. yeah. So you, you can do both. But as much as I really like Andrew Yang and his idea of this, the UBI $1,000, Part of me is like, unless people learn how to manage their money, it's not going to really help them as much as people think that it will. But that, you know, is still a good idea. And I think it's got some issues to be worked out. Like He didn't talk about it today, but the value added tax part of it is a little dicey. But the democracy dollar thing is something that I had heard him talk yeah, about before. So he was before. talking about it's $100 that you can what earmark for a specific cause. For candidates. For candidates. For elections. I don't quite understand yeah. where that comes from, though. You know, he just mentioned democracy dollars, and that sounds like monopoly money to me. So. It kind of is. I can't, I, I believe it might be, I don't know if it's a tax write-off, or. but somehow you're given $100 that you are supposed to use only for your political engagement. And, and as he said tonight, that's supposed to wash out out lobbyist money. I like the idea of washing out lobbying lobbyist money, but I, I well, don't know if that's the way to do it, it but it it only works it only works if like I don't know, the NRA also only gets a hundred dollars or, you know, the I'm I'm trying to think of I don't want to only use that as an example, you know, I want to use like sort of a left leaning lobbying group as well, but I, I can't think of one off the top of my head because there's not like, you know, Climate Change Incorporated. But you know what I mean? Some something you know, like basically a, a political action committee or a lobbyist for green issues. So if they were also limited to hundred so if everybody could only spend that hundred dollars, it would be interesting to see what sort of legislation we would get and uh, I would like to see the that. new like way that know. they could figure out uh, you know how to how to spend more than that hundred dollars I mean I kind of like the idea of taking money out of mm -hmm. politics and this kind of feels a way of putting even 
more money in. Yeah. I wonder if there's a way to do a little bit of of both. Um, but the idea underlying it that the problem is um, a, a broken economy that then therefore we've got to a lot of our policies and stuff is all in dealing with this broken economy and so if we fix that and the way to fix that is to fix the corruption that underlies it in all of our capitalism and therefore our democracy then we can make some real change i heard a number of candidates talking about money and politics and the corruption so uh we did not watch the debate together but i thought of you a few times i was also watching it on delay so it was like it wasn't going to help if i texted you because you were going to be like 15 minutes ahead of me but i was excited because i'm like a lot of them addressed like you know that's it's what you say so often on this show and you know also off the show but it's it's where people who watch the show here say is what a problem that is and it's like yeah you can address all these other things but you should really get to that first and you know i thought that some of the answers were uh, fairly realistic and at least somewhat somewhat grounded in in reality where it's just like you know you can't really do much until you address those sort of problems so it sounds yeah. to me like you think elizabeth warren and andrew yang both had uh, particularly good nights yes uh, of course uh, being the uh, pessimist that i am i want to focus on who had a bad night tonight mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I didn't think that the aggressive move by Julian Castro served him well. I think that was somebody in his campaign said, hey, it worked really well for Kamala when she went after Joe Mm -hmm. Biden. But the issue that Kamala went after Joe Biden for was a policy issue about busing. Yeah. And this was, you don't remember what you said two minutes ago. Jonathan Carl from ABC News read back some of the transcripts, and it seemed like he did actually remember what he was talking about. And so Castro was kind of armed with that, ready to. And I think that he probably could have gotten away with it at a later point, but he actually wasn't right at that point. And you had uh, of all people, uh, this was also on the ABC, not not the online, but it was like in the immediate. Uh, sort of after show, uh, Rahm Emanuel was very upset about that, and I didn't know he—I I, I didn't know he was in the business of uh, telling us what what was appropriate in politics. But you know, good for him now. <laughs> I didn't pay attention yeah, to him, and so, I won't be paying attention. Well, to him. I, there was, he was the first person to speak, so uh, mm. I thought it was. Uh, but look, I mean, there's look, Julian Castro uh, in getting to speak first before everyone else that showed that he because they started in reverse polling order Mm -hmm. so it was it was sort of like a very backhanded like we're gonna start in reverse polling order julian castro you're the biggest loser (laughs) you know and it wasn't even intended by that in that way it was just it just actually i laughed out loud because it's like so who do the least amount of people want to be president julian castro and so i mean that'll tell you a lot about what his approach is i mean i i made a joke at the top uh, about beto but i mean julian castro if by this time next week isn't in the race anymore i wouldn't be surprised you know yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't be either and i I think fundamentally what he has accomplished and what he stands for is generally good, but then he's also, you know, driving some of the most, um, in in terms of the immigration stance where he wants to decriminalize crossing the border, even to me, that's like, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. And then that is an easy way for the right to brand us all with open borders. And... I, it, it it makes me cringe more than people speaking Spanish. Right. At least when he spoke Spanish, you're like, uh, you know, he's the, he's the, the he's the guy where yeah. I'm like, all right, you Fine. know, he's he's okay to speak Spanish. And I think Beto only did it once, but I was like, oh, buddy, that's once too I many. I liked when Corey was like, 
No, and let me say that in Spanish. No. That was actually very funny. I thought that uh, I thought that that was good. Uh, so, uh, so you're saying that uh, Julian Castro? Yeah, I think he he definitely feels like he had a big moment, but I think ultimately that's not going to serve him well. And I think the per- the candidate at the other end of the stage, Amy Klobuchar, is starting to get under my skin. Uh, when she got into this campaign, I was I was excited to hear her voice and have her be a part of it. Sure. I heard her speak and a lot about her, her background. She comes from the rest. Like, I, I thought this is a, a good candidate to be in this race. But then she... She's trying to differentiate herself. That part I understand. But doing it by playing into the, you know, if you don't like the extremist ideas on this stage, you have a home with me. I wanted to be like, you. <laughs> uh, I like that she didn't take the bait from George Stephanopoulos, who was like, so you're not the extreme. So who on this stage is extreme? And what issues do you differ? And she's like, I think we know. But the thing about, like, I won't make promises that I can't keep. I mean, any... A politician can say what they stand for and what policies they advocate for. But because our government doesn't work by the will of any one politician, even if that politician is the president, means like you can be saying things all day long. She can be saying very reasonable, I'm using air quotes, reasonable things, but she still can't guarantee that she can get that done. Listen, if we don't get a Democratic Senate, there is no chance that even the most conservative Democrat could get anything done. Yeah. So I, I I dislike that she says that and say you know promises that you can't keep and and I'm not going to sit here and lie to you, implying that other people are lying. Just not not cool. I thought it was just as divisive as Julian Castro's. Yeah, and I I think thing. lying is a strong term. I think that there are definitely people who are being evasive with the truth. Again, it was another joke at the top, but Elizabeth Warren would not say that middle class taxes would go up under her Medi- Medicare for All plan. And give credit to Bernie, he's like, yeah, it's going to go up. Hopefully not that much, but it's going to go up. And you can't spend that kind of money. And, and you know, she's just like, but here's all the money you're going to save. And it's like, okay, you're not saying it. But it's very clear that that's what's going to happen. But I, I think that the the point is, and I'm not sure enough people get it. Even if your taxes go up, but your premiums and out of pocket and all that kind of stuff goes down, on the whole, you win. Right. But which people she just, needed to, if that's the case, she needed to give that answer but more I clearly. Think that's what uh, that's what I understood her to say. Right. Well, I don't know. It sounded it sounded more evasive than the way you put it. If she had said it the way you put it. Um, I wanted to move on to the moderators because some of these debates have had better moderators than others. Uh, I thought that uh, there was a good mix. Um, Jorge Ramos, I have to give credit to because I feel like if Sean Hannity were asking questions, he would have asked a lot of those same questions because he, huh. but he was tough on everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't single out a candidate. He uh, clearly was speaking very critically on issues like immigration. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, Joe Biden's very quick to point to being a part of the Obama administration, except for when it starts to make him look bad. And then he's like, yeah, you know, I mean, Obama was the president. What was I supposed to do? But, you know, <laughs> yeah. which is basically what he said. President. I was the vice president. What do you want me to do? I'm only the second most important guy, all right? So, like, him and his whole cabinet way more important than me. And, yes, look, he wasn't the president, and, you, and you're not going to you're not gonna rock the boat. But at the same time, it's like, and that was a, that was a point that's made. You know, you, you can't just take credit for the good stuff. And I thought that he asked, Jorge Ramos, I thought, asked some very tough 
but in a good way, like questions that I think, look, I think that the, all 10 of these candidates shouldn't feel comfortable the whole time they're up there. I don't think they sh- it should be a barrage of candidates. Like, you know, like uh, back in 2016, the MSNBC debate of uh, all the Republican candidates. Yeah, that was that was that was very slanted against them. You know, you could have taken a break. A couple of those questions. This I think it was a good mix. Uh, so I like that he asked tough questions and I don't think anybody had trouble answering them. You know, I think that if he asked a tough question and somebody wasn't, you know, was clearly not prepared for it, it might have been more uncomfortable. But what did you think about the moderators? I I, I thought I was I, I was fine with them. I think I notice the moderators more when I think that they're, you know, doing it poorly. Right. Like raise your hand. Yeah, kind of question. Uh, we, yeah, I, I didn't no. like those. That was the that was the last one, right? The CNN one. Oh no, no, oh, there was the first one. one. Yeah, and that that was the cover of the New York Post. That was like, who wants to what was lose it? Who wants the to election? Give, well, yeah, who wants to lose the election? But they were actually raising their hand because they wanted to give, to give health care to, to, to Ill- illegals. Yeah, un- undocumented people. Und- yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that was uh, that was one of those. Yeah, and I think that uh, it was. Uh, you know what? It's kind of like what they talk about in in sports. Like if you notice the referees or the officials, they're not doing a good job. You're not supposed to know they're yeah. there when they're really overly involved. You're like, okay, they're not. They're yeah. not doing a good job. So they uh, they created a space where there was where the candidates had a long time to express themselves, and sometimes candidates had so long that they just start talking to take up time. And for me, that totally backfires. Like, if you're done making your point and you can make it in less time, great. But then if they use that to go on and sort of... It's like saying a lot without saying anything. Just using words to fill up time, it just boggles down their their, their message and it makes me tune out. Um, I mean, I guess I don't know how I would be. I mean, plenty of times probably on this show, I probably could have made my point a lot quicker, but I didn't and I am making sure that I am clear and so I'm using more words. But... To me, that's where the this thing feels very long. But I, I think the I was fine with the moderator's questions. They didn't feel um, they didn't feel too um, too either softball or yeah. too sort of critical. I mean, some of them, you know, who was it, it was like why, on the uh, I think it was on the gun issue when when Joe Biden was asked, you know, why didn't you get something done? Right, if you that, couldn't if you couldn't get something done with uh you know with Democrats in the House and the Senate, what makes you, you what why should we think you could do it then? I thought that those were fair questions and look, they're politicians. They they're not going to always give you a great answer because they're they have to think on their feet like what can I say that's going to get me in the least amount of trouble I mean, without actually answering it. That was the most sort of pointed question for yeah. for me that I but even that a very fair question. Yeah, I thought that uh it was a good job in that way. Let's talk about some of the issues that they addressed. I thought that Honestly, I thought they spent too long on health care. I understand mm-hmm. it's important, mm-hmm. and I know it was a three-hour debate. Which, by the way, some of the other ones like were scheduled for like two or two and a half hours, and then they went to be almost three hours. At least this one was... They just told you ahead of time. Like, it's going to be three hours. So... That was fair. The other one, like one of the other ones was supposed to be two hours. I think the second one, and it was two hours and 40 minutes. And I was like, that's, that's not running over. That's like, you know, you took like another, you took another hour of my life. But, <laughs> but I, uh, so what, what did you think about some of the questions and answers uh, about healthcare? I feel like this, this is like take three of the same sort of yeah. 
debate that we've seen in the previous debates. And I'm wondering, is this just because as time goes on, more people tune in or because if they think it goes from one network then to CNN then to ABC there's different people watching I'm, I'm pretty sure that the demographic of people that watch this debate are probably the same ones who watch the previous right. the two. Only, the only difference that I'll, I'll say about this is there are still some of us out there that don't have cable and so you know that that first one was on was on MSNBC the second was on CNN there are could be people who are interested but they just didn't watch it. The fact that it was on ABC and, you know, anyone who has an antenna has ABC. So they're mm-hmm. probably so they probably thought that. But, yeah, I also think that when new moderators come in and each of these three debates have had different moderators, it's like, well, now I'm going to get my angle on this question. But I felt that the, all the questions on healthcare were the same as the previous two debates. Yeah. I don't think I heard anything new uh, from the... The candidates. No, there was a moment it. though that sort of echoes something that I say. Bernie was making his point about you know they they spend so much less on Canada, and Biden's like, yeah, this is America. Because I I was actually I always think that because I'm like, yeah, it's just we have more people. You know, there's a lot of reasons why you can you can use it as a comparison. There are other reasons why I don't think it's accurate. One, we just have so many more people than Canada does. And, but when we're talking about per capita, that right. takes that into account. Sure, but I I just think it's it it seems like it's a little bit easier for them for Canada to have their nationalized health care. But here's my thing: the United States. It's all about scaling up businesses, scaling, right? Do you sure. not hear that everywhere? That I just feel like the United States is the scaling capital of the world. If we can scale up businesses to the huge behemoths that they are, I think we can scale up any project yeah. policy that we that we want. The one thing that I thought was interesting that I hadn't heard before, when Joe Biden tried to take a dig at Bernie by saying that his plan was going to cost $34 trillion, and Bernie said, well, actually, the status quo is going to cost $50 trillion. I, I took, I, I did write well that played. down because it's, it's a point that I don't remember being made because I'd heard that $30 trillion in, I think, in the last debate. And I didn't hear that answer of $50 trillion the last time. So it, it, it's a fair point. It's just like, yeah, that's a lot of money. But if we don't do anything, this is what it's going to cost. But then, of course, devil's advocate, the other argument is, well, yeah, but Trump wants to get rid of all of it. So then it won't cost the $30 trillion or the $50 trillion. Well, hold on. But let's go back to the days before the ACA. Mm-hmm. Um Healthcare was still expensive and getting exponentially more expensive. So even if Trump undid everything, we would still we would we would just be spending a lot more money individually um, through our own health insurance policies. I know that people said, and even I, my policy went way up um, because I was um, self-employed and I paid for my own plan when I left my law gig, and it cost me like a hundred dollars. Okay. And then Obamacare came along, um, and it was like two hundred fifty, maybe. And then I turned thirty, and thirty is like old age, I guess. And then it went up again. Till now, I pay, I think it's like three ninety a month for just myself. So yes. I, I. So you would not fall into the category of if you like your health care, you can keep your health care. You're like, no, I don't. I I do not like this. I would like no. something. Else. See, the other side of it was. 
for me, when we, be, I, it's because we have kids and we were able to actually go on Medi-Cal, which is sort of like the idea, which is Medicare, a, it's Medicare California. in California. Yeah. yeah. So that's, so that's, I've sort of seen that angle of it, but then I've also been on Cover California when, which is the, you know, that's the Obamacare. I've been on that before we had kids. So you sort of, I've seen both sides of it and yeah, the Medi-Cal is, is a lot less. I don't know what having all of that coverage uh you know does to you know taxes that have to basically be paid by other people so that uh, you know my kids could go to the doctor and you know, my daughter had to uh has had a few visits to children's hospital LA it wasn't anything major just something she was born with just surgery that she needed she had to go in a few times it's incredibly expensive like we could see what that would cost if we had to pay for it out of pocket so. yeah did, did you ever see the bills to see how much it would have oh, been yeah, it was like one visit was like four thousand dollars and that was the one where she only i don't even know if she stayed over that night no i think that yeah that was staying over so it was like four thousand dollars yeah and i don't even know that that was everything so yeah it, it's look I, it's an important issue i i just i feel like the debates always start with it and i always feel like they spend too much time on it so mm-hmm. maybe the next one they can if they want to get to it they could just do it a little bit later and maybe a little bit less i mean i guess you know it's the number one issue i guess that that americans want to hear about but I wish I would have heard. And I think Elizabeth Warren did bring up, you know, the corruption. And, and Bernie talks about it in terms of, of greed of the pharmaceutical industry. When you talk about it in terms of greed, it sounds like it's a personal character flaw of people in the industry. But it's not. It's the sort of corporate setup that you only care about the, the stockholders, which is why a couple of weeks ago when the business roundtable businesses got together and said, maybe we should rethink what the purpose of a corporation is and that it's not just for the people that own its stock, but it's we should take into consideration the stakeholders, the employees, the environment, the neighborhood, the community, the, just taking into account a lot more people than just the bottom line and the people who are financially invested in it. We have to fix that. It's uh, it's not quite a corporate culture. Maybe it's partly culture, but it's it's what corporations are allowed to get away with, partly because they've been determined a a person from Citizens United with a a, a voice and the ability to throw lots of money into campaigns so that their you know wishes are to to further entrench themselves and, and sort of take over our lives. That stuff needs to be fixed. But if we say it like it's it's a greed problem, like rich people are all greedy, I don't think that's as helpful as Elizabeth Warren's way of putting up, this is corruption. I think they're basically talking about the same thing. But when a system is corrupt, that makes more sense and takes the, the blame away from individual people. Because we can get rid of all the greedy people, but they'll just be replaced by other There's people. There's going to be plenty of other people, yeah. To, and and if if given the opportunity to be a one percenter, uh, I would be more than happy to. If anybody it's wants to trade It's not the one percenter. Remember that they're that they're upset. It's the one tenth of the one yes, percent. Yeah, a big I, that's difference. that's where I want to be anyway. It's the one tenth of the one percent. Look, I'll give some money to charity. It's fine, but I would just like to have it, and then let me decide what I want I mean, to do I with it. I think if you if you actually studied it. The, you you think that you'd be much happier than they actually are. The levels of anxieties of, of people with that much money um, are actually pretty rampant. Yeah. They have a massive fear of losing their money. And they have a lot of fear of what that money will do to their kids. I mean, even I, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not part of the top one-tenth of a percent. But, you know, my parents were 
did very well. And, you know, there were kids around me that were kind of just bored, rich kids. Sure. That, um, I remember, you know, they would get, they, they, their parents would give them Porsches and Escalades if they passed like a drug test. You know, this was the, the level. Of hey, that's a good incentive. Standards. Yeah. Um, and if you didn't pass a drug, uh, drug test, you'd get a Ford Focus. So really, it's like you have to pass, you can't drive that around. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and and you know what? Those kinds of incentives worked at least for a little bit. <laughs> at least for that one drug test. But I can but I can see you know that there is a real concern about what that kind of money will do to their kids, and the top point oh one percent do have those those fears. So it's not all rainbows and butterflies. Um, and so I I wish that we all as a culture would stop glorifying it um, yeah yeah there would be cool moments just like all of our lives have cool moments on Instagram right but like the reality is not Instagram there's a whole lot more to it yeah but then if you check out uh, the Instagram account rich kids on Instagram they seem like they're always having fun so there's something it's all to be, lies well that's fine I'd, I'd rather live in the lies um, I don't <laughs> want to run out of time so I want to talk about some of the other topics but I wanted one more big picture question uh, 10 candidates on the stage Let's take President Trump, the person, out of it for a second. But if you're working on his campaign, who do you most want him to go up against in the general election and who do you least want him to go up against out of these 10? Hmm. Most <coughs> and least. Um, hmm. Well, I mean, gosh, it would be so interesting to just see him go up against pe- just like from I, an interesting time. Just like, from Andrew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like just, Andrew Yang, you know, who's but, kind of. Well, because it'd be like a real, you'd be trying to have a real conversation. I don't know how well, well that would work. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think Elizabeth Warren could hold her own. Yeah. You know, I think Bernie would be the most entertaining and the volume, it, it, you'd be the only one who could actually talk over Trump. You know, uh, not when his voice is the way it was tonight. But, you know, just it's sort of like the the energy level is high. And for whatever reason, it seems like President Trump has a lot of energy. I don't know how we all know how he eats. We know that he doesn't really sleep particularly well, but he seems to have a lot of energy. I don't quite know how. Yeah. So uh, I think Bernie would be you know entertaining and that could be good. Uh, there's I, a couple of pushovers on the stage, you know. I I don't I don't feel good about Mayor Pete in a uh, in a in a debate with him. But he would do well against Pence, and that's where it matters. He would, yeah. I want him to, for to, VP. For VP, there you, you go. know. I I also in watching last week. Remember the climate town halls? Yes, right. We talked about that on our show last week because that was before they had happened. Yeah. So that gave candidates a really long time to to talk, and it gave you insight into like what they would take the bait on. So, like, Kamala Harris took the bait on a question about straws. You know, like, would you ban straws? You know, yeah. you don't want to answer that question. It's not it, a good, so, well, don't, well, here's the she, thing. If you answer that question, don't say yes. So, she, you know, she did answer that question. But what somebody like Elizabeth Warren does is she's like, this is not about straws or cheeseburgers or whatever. This is about... So she pulls back and frames it in a larger context. Um, so... That's why I think like Kamala Harris wouldn't be, I think, strong up against Trump because she might sort of answer the straw question. She yeah. might take the bait, and and um, it it it's interesting that a lawyer would kind of, I guess, the term would be fall for that. It's like no, you don't. You 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 pull things back to the context under which 
where your principle, where well, your value you, comes through. You referenced Cory Booker's saying that, let me answer that in Spanish. No, because that was the question about, do you want, because this was a story that went around that wasn't accurate, was that, are you going to try and make everyone, I don't know, vegetarian, vegan, vegan I forget what he said, yeah. he was vegan. Mm -hmm. and, he, and he, so, you know, instead of, he at least answered it, and he was like, well, yeah, no, that's not what I'm saying. You know, he he's like, yeah, I'm not trying to do that. I think Beto saying that Look, for the people in that room, hearing that he's going to take away AR-15s and AK-47s is, is great. I think for a lot of people, you could be encouraged by that. Then I do think that there is at least a segment of the population that you need to win over. I'm not talking about the, the hardcore, we're going to vote for Trump no matter what happens. You have other people who are gun owners and they're like, no, I don't want an, an AR-15 or an AK-47. But I don't like you coming and saying that I need to sell back any of my guns because that, if, that fear is always that you know you're gonna try and you know get all of them so that was uh, just briefly i haven't had time to spend i didn't have a lot of time to go onto twitter but i saw a lot of memes about that about the fact that like this is what beto's gonna do you yeah. know and it's great for the echo chamber of a, a, a an arena full of democrats at a democrats debate i think that it, it does respond to people but when you say that forcefully like i'm gonna do this i don't think that's as effective as saying like no i'm not gonna make people be vegans you know and they're not the same issue i'm yeah. not trying to really compare them yeah, but I, I think in this uh debate beto kind of pigeoned him pigeonholed himself as the candidate on gun reform and sure it makes sense because of the shooting in el paso and then there have been several shootings in in, in texas recently but if that's his only issue and he spoke really eloquently about it and you know, in the aftermath of the, of the shooting, he was there on the ground talking to people, consoling people, hugging people. I mean, we want to see that from our leaders. And, and, and I, I think it is wonderful that he did that. But now all that I think of when I think of Beto is his stance on, on guns. And I, we need something a larger sort of brand identity, for lack of a better term, than just being the, the gun um, issue. I mean, the gun issue is massively important. But again, unless you clean up the corruption first, the gun issue isn't going to budge, which is why nothing has gotten done before. People are wondering, you know, when, when 20, you know, first graders are shot and killed and, and, and nothing changes, why is that? Well, because of serious corruption. Because of when when the corruption runs so deep that like that it it has no conscience it has it's a it's a sociopath so sure. that's why it's not going to move the needle at all for for 20 babies die and, and and nothing happens because the monster that you're fighting about has no heart has no humanity it doesn't it doesn't care about that but let's not focus on it just as a gun issue it's a corruption issue and he he should have talked more about that if you wanted to be, I think, for me, more effective. But if you just talk about guns and the violence and, you know, he mentioned the date several times, August 3rd, and it's just the focus on that, then, you know, he's like Eric Swalwell. When Eric Swalwell ran, he ran solely on the gun issue, and, you know, that didn't go well for yeah. him. And I equally think it, do, it won't go well for, for Beto. Although the reaction to him, people are like, oh, he was very inspired. I didn't get that from him? No, I think that uh, once uh, once it had been said, everybody started to be like, oh yeah, and you did a good job on that. Good for you, Beto. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on the conversation about 
the the border and immigration because uh, I would have to scan through my notes to find it, but somebody made the point, and I forget who it is, maybe you know who it was, that we all, like, it's very important that we need to start giving more aid to Central America, mm-hmm. something that we used to do and mm-hmm. we're not doing right now because that is going to help address those problems. That was another one of those instances where I'm like, well, clearly you handed them a note and you said you need to talk about this right now. But what did you think about the conversation on immigration and the border, just in general, but uh, also the fact that that was raised during it? I think it misses the point. So aid can be good. Unfortunately, it it turns out that a lot of the aid that we've provided to other countries has not done, has has not lived up to the intention, I think, with which we hope that that money was was provided. I think uh, there are types of aid that we can give that would be effective, but just a blank check is is not helpful. When we were giving the aid, we still had this problem. The problem is, is they're not talking about the underlying causes, our exploitation of the region. I think we, we have to address that. And a large part of the immigration problem is actually tied to America's drug problem. So we blame, you know, Mexicans and Central Americans for sending all these you know, drugs. That's where the drugs come over from. But, you know, let's, we have to clean up our side of the literal fence. The, the demand for drugs in the United States is so strong that it, to say encourages is to put it lightly, this kind of thing coming from Central America, which then creates such a terrible environment in that region that people cannot live safely. So, I think if if we wanted to help the region better than aid, we can knock off our behavior that is still to this day causing major detriment to that region of the world. Now, how, how do you make Americans stop doing drugs is really the, the question. I think the answer's probably got to do a lot with treatment, but then you know people are like, well, how are we going to pay for that? Well, if you pay for that, you're probably helping I don't want to say killing two birds with one stone. I want to say something more positive, but we would help Americans right. who are struggling and and hopefully by that curb the demand for the drugs and therefore lower the the the, the strength of the cartels and the gangs who are ravaging the region. Right, but although I I think that that would that would would help the problem, but I think that you know, you would still have these kind of regimes in charge of these countries that are, I mean, we're talking about our corruption and Mm -hmm. uh, let's not isolate any of the specific countries, but it doesn't compare to what goes on in some of those countries. I think how it looks in some of those other countries is more obvious than how it appears here. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't judge which one is is more corrupt. I think it's just more visible. Sure, it, it seems like. It, it, and again, yeah, I guess it's perception. It seems that it's it's much more brutal, uh, you know, in in Central America than it's it is here. Just more overt. We've got it really well entrenched into the system, so that you don't even see it. Uh, so there were a lot of other things that uh, were But we could discussed. help clean up the corruption down there, too. But it's hard to clean up corruption somewhere else if we've got it going on in right, our own backyard. Right, because the corruption in, in, in our backyard is, of course, uh, in a lot of a lot of instances, helped by the fact that there's, uh, you know, they can, all the corrupt buddies can and, uh, get together. And part of the corruption is that we, we have, we support, we have supported 
corporations exploiting Central America and Mexico. And so, again, if we clean up that corruption and then we give some of the power back to um, Central America, maybe we'd have to pay a fairer price for produce. But then that region would be, I, I, hopefully, I think, you know, safe and prosperous on its own. Um, and there wouldn't be people trying to flee here. Uh, and we're uh, we're pretty much out of time. I'm going to take a, an extra minute. Well, yeah, I know that's what happens. I want to take an extra minute. And uh, what did you think about the conversation about about schools and education? There were some difference, differences of opinion about the effectiveness of charter schools. Uh, there, but just in general, what did you think? Uh, did you think anybody stood out, or was it sort of a? They were all fairly close on that issue. Um, well, who said that? You know, teachers. I think was it Bernie? Teachers should make sixty thousand dollars. Yes, he gave that very specific. And number, I yeah. was like, oh my god, I can't believe that teachers currently don't make sixty thousand well, dollars. I mean, look, in depends on the state because like cost of living, like sixty thousand dollars is is a lot more than it would be here. But yeah, in a city like Los Angeles, you would hope that they make sixty thousand dollars. I'm going to assume they don't, because I, I, my understanding, public school teachers don't get paid for the summer. Right. You know, so if if you take those months out of it, they probably don't get sixty thousand dollars. So it's just yeah. it's. Uh, it- I, 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 there are no words. Um, I know Andrew Yang believes a lot in in bolstering teaching as a profession as well as teachers. I think. Oh, California. Well, teachers look at that. Thanks to Jonathan 000. in the booth. California teachers saw a modest pay bump into eighty thousand dollars. Huh? And that is pretty dang good. I know. I just, wait a minute. When, when, I think that some of us might be in the wrong line of work. That's that's really interesting. Um, my my, the, my issue that I had when I heard some people talking, they were talking about at-risk schools. Sure. And so, yes, we should help at-risk schools, but we should also be helping middle-class schools. I, I don't even think middle-class schools are up to the standards that they should be. So um, when we just are singling out, you know, the, the the poorest, the lowest income areas. Yes, we need to help them, but if we we can't just focus on them, we have to focus on the middle class also. Um, I, I would like to hear them talk about how they can help um, encourage states to reform their curriculums so that teachers are teaching subjects that are more relevant skills um, that are actually helpful to people, whether or not they go on. To college, but wouldn't it be great? I mean, it would be great if everybody could go to college, but wouldn't it be great if somebody could graduate from high school and have halfway decent skills to offer in the the, the workplace and to manage their lives? Like, for example, for me, obviously, I think a big deal is the fact that there is not um, financial literacy um, that's mandatory, and there's lots of other just normal life skills. Um, I don't know. Politics, you know, could be better covered in high school. I don't even remember it being uh, covered I mean, it all that well. On, I think that's a that's a state thing. Sometimes you have, you know, like but the federal you know, government like has a lot to, and, yeah, you, to th- shape what. To, I mean, we we do have a federal government that has a lot of influence on what the the, sure. the states are doing with education because the federal government gives a lot of money um, in, in terms of education. But I didn't hear anything that was, you know, incredible. I didn't hear anything new. I didn't hear anything that made anybody stand out. You know, there's there's a difference of opinion on charter schools. That I mean, was I, really the one difference. I mean, for 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 this there there has to be some fundamental 
problem with the schools that nobody is is naming because it, it just it can't it can't it, it, it can't is it really just the problem that it all the funding is from property taxes and that's why some areas have a lot of money and others don't and that's no, I mean, I think you run into the problem in a lot of areas where, you know, you'll have a certain segment of the community who they send their kids to private school instead of the public school. You have older people who either never had kids or kids are all older. So in thinking in a small community like the one I grew up in, in sort of like rural, suburban New York State, was it, the the school budgets routine, this happens in a lot of places, school budgets get voted down by people who don't want to pay the taxes because they don't have kids anymore, mm-hmm. or, they, or their kids go to the private school. Mm-hmm. So they're like, well, why? Well, yeah, I already pay, so I don't want to, you know? So I think that you run into that problem of, you know, especially when, you know, in California, there's a lot of those measures that come up, and they're so confusing. Sometimes you're like, I think that would be really good for schools, and then you read into it, and you're like, wait, no, no, these people say it's really bad for schools. So, you know, it, it's very confusing on when you can vote on things. So I think I think that, uh, well, look, there's a lot of money in, in taking that money away from schools and, and funneling it towards something else. I, also, a big part of the, the, the puzzle piece here that I think is missing is um, – early childhood education, the more that I hear about that, like when, you know, the the amount of, of information and shaping of the brain that occurs at ages, you know, three, four, five yeah. is just incredible. And that's what gives you the momentum or lack thereof for really the rest of your life. So I, you know, as far as I understand, the, the more attention that we can place on the youngest years sure. and giving kids the best start possible um, would go a long way. Yeah, that was a bad moment for Biden where he talked about how you should put on the record player for your kids at night. He literally said record player. Oh, God. I- and I, look, I know he's going for the for the hipster vote that they all had. They all listen to everything on vinyl. But, you know, I think that, uh, that you know, it's, we're going to put on, you know, the song on YouTube for our kids. But look, I, I do think that, that look, I mean, my son's only just turned four, but I think that even reading to him when he didn't understand what it was, I think that that's great for, you know, verbal development. And, you know, my daughter's a year and a half and it's just, you know, kind of recognizing words because they hear them say it. So, I mean, um, it's a very small sample size, but I can see the impact that it has. Uh, in any case, we are out of time. And there will be another debate somewhere in Ohio on October 15th. Hopefully only October 15th, not 15th and 16th. <laughs> I mean, there's a chance that there could be more, know, but there's a chance that there could be less. I'm, I'm feeling like less. That's a whole month. That's a lot of that's a lot But of anybody fundraising. who qualified today qualifies for October. Right. I, I, right? I will yeah. say right now that these, not all 10 of these people will still be running for president in October. Oh, who's not? Who's out? You think who? Uh, Julian Castro because he's polling the least and he's probably raising the least amount of money. Mm-hmm. You know, I, that's my guess. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's all fundraising. I think Beto not polling very high, but I think he's very he's been good at raising money. So maybe he'll continue to do that. But we'll see. We'll see who's there. Uh, so we'll talk about that, uh, but not for a month. And we can continue this conversation on next Tuesday at 4 Pacific, 7 Eastern on the Trump Report. Uh, until then, Chelsea, if people want to keep in touch with you, where can they find you online? As always, at Chelsea Galicia on Twitter. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at ChristianDMZ. And you can follow the show at Trump Report ABTV. Uh, we are out of time, but thanks so much to uh, everybody who joined us in the live chat and the archive version. We'll see you on Tuesday, everybody. Thanks. Bye. Happy birthday.